Hi, everyone. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 530. And uh, I am tired, a bit frustrated. This is the second time I have sat down to record this episode today. I recorded it earlier, went to edit it, and realized that the audio was all messed up and the camera got all fogged up, which is kind of a blessing, actually. If the audio is going to be messed up, at least I didn't waste good footage. So I like put it on my computer. I'm like, the footage looks terrible. The audio sounds horrible. I can't use this episode. So here we are um, for the second time today sitting down to record this episode. Discouraging frustrating, but also like, you know, it's an opportunity to make an even better episode than we did last time. Um, I don't know, man. You know, I, I, I was really excited to have the show out early Monday morning. Here we are now. It's at one o'clock on a Monday redoing it. I, it's, it's unfortunate, but, uh, I also want to make one expectation very clear. Um, I got a lot I got to do this week. I got to run a lot of errands tomorrow and Wednesday. I'm not going to do a midweek episode this week. We're going to do uh, you know, th- this quick episode on Monday, and then I'm going to record again Thursday night after Thursday night football. So only two episodes this week. Expect that. We'll do the Patreon-centric long episode on, you know, that'll come out on Friday. I'm excited. I love Friday episodes. I think they're awesome. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, the most important stuff that happened this weekend. Remember, you can support the show at patreon.com slash Zach Shomler, patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. Let's jump in. The coolest story of the weekend by far to me is 49ers rookie quarterback Brock Purdy. This is a real story. Everything I'm about to say in this next sentence is true. In Brock Purdy's first ever NFL start, he beat Tom Brady. The 49ers beat Tampa 35-7. to And uh, it's just an, it's an amazing story. Brock Purdy is a rookie Seventh round pick. He was Mr. Irrelevant. You've heard that said a lot, but he was the last pick of the entire NFL draft this year. And in this game, first ever NFL start, came off the bench last week and, you know, replacing Jimmy Garoppolo beat a really good Miami Dolphins football team. This week in his first ever NFL start, Brock Purdy was 16 for 21 passing, 185 yards, two touchdown passes, one touchdown run, and zero, zero turnovers. And I think you could easily make the argument that he outplayed Tom Brady in his first ever NFL start. Tom Brady had two ugly interceptions. Uh, Tom Brady also missed a touchdown. He had Mike Evans open on a fourth and one inside the 10-yard line. Tom Brady made a poor throw. They couldn't connect, missed out on a touchdown. I walked away from this game very, very impressed with Brock Purdy because... The 49ers are a football team that's got a roster capable of winning a Super Bowl. The number one question is their quarterback. They started the year with Trey Lance. He gets hurt. He's out for the year. They go to Jimmy Garoppolo. He plays well. Now he's out for the year. Can this rookie third string quarterback Brock Purdy win a Super Bowl with the 49ers? That's the ultimate question. And in this game... I walked away with hope that maybe Brock Purdy actually can get that done. Now, Tampa's not a great football team, but the 49ers are a good team. A good team should dominate a average or bad team, and that's exactly what happened. The 49ers were up 35 to nothing. Brock Purdy made some really good throws here. He moved well in the pocket. 
Uh, we're going to see what happens. I don't want to make any crazy proclamations here. You see often quarterbacks come and there's like a flash in the pan where they're great for a game or two. And then they kind of fall back to earth. You know, we saw Gardner Minshew a couple years ago. I think he's better than we ever gave him credit for. But he had a couple hot games. It was a fun story. And then the NFL world moved on. Or last year, Mike White, who may very well be the Jets franchise quarterback right now. But last year, remember, Mike White came off the bench, played incredible against Cincinnati, then kind of petered off, and we kind of moved forward again for a while. We've seen many, many times throughout the NFL a quarterback who comes off the bench and plays awesome for like a game or two. He's a hot-button story, whether it's Fitzmagic or whatever, and then things kind of move forward and we forget about him. Is that going to happen here with Brock Purdy? Is this a fun story that's fun for a game or two and then he kind of falls back to earth? Or can Brock Purdy actually lead the 49ers to a Super Bowl or a deep playoff run? I don't know. It's... I'll tell you what, he did a lot of good stuff on Sunday, and that does matter. And I think from here, you if you're a 49er fan, can be optimistic about the future, but I think it's also healthy to still be skeptical and go, let's wait like two or three more games to see what goes down before you make any strong proclamation either direction. But what I saw was very, very encouraging from Brock Purdy. Now, again, I want you to imagine this. Imagine you are a rookie seventh-round pick. You're not expected to be the starting quarterback. You are happy to be in the building at all. Imagine you're that guy, and you make your first ever NFL start, and you beat and dominate Tom Brady. How do you think that feels for Mr. Brock Purdy? I am so happy for the young man. Very, very cool. You know, the 49ers are 9-4 and four right now. They got four games left. They play Seattle. They play Washington. That's, by the way, that's Seattle and then Washington, two different football teams. Not Seattle, Washington, the city, but the Seattle Seahawks. Then they play the Washington Commanders. Then they play the Raiders and then Arizona. I think the 49ers have four winnable games left. And I really want to give a lot of credit to the 49ers head coach and front office. You know, Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, the GM, Kyle Shanahan, the head coach. Um, Every year, no matter what's going on, it seems like the 49ers are in contention. And they've had a lot of turmoil and up and down at quarterback. And it's still, I mean, you know, a couple years ago, they were in the Super Bowl against Kansas City. They lost. Last year with Jimmy Garoppolo, the Rams uh, beat the 49ers in the NFC title game. Rams going to win the Super Bowl. 49ers are watching from home. Once again, the 49ers are back in contention. They're first in the NFC West. And it's just insane how much... How many changes go on? You lose Mike McDaniel. You lose Robert Sala. Players come in and out. But every year, the 49ers find themselves in a position where they are in contention in the playoff picture. And I, I just think it's a really um, a credit to Kyle Shanahan, who often, I think, goes underappreciated somehow. Um, I, I, You know, every year he finds a way to get his team right where they need to be in the mix. And no, no matter a who their quarterback is, no matter what's going on, no matter what changes were made in the offseason or what coaches he lost to be head coaches other places. It's really incredible. And I, I walked away uh, from this game realizing, like, you know what? The fact that the 49ers are here once again is really, really impressive. Uh, now, Kyle Shanahan did get a lot of criticism on Sunday. Debo Samuel, the star running back receiver hybrid for the 49ers, he got hurt. Looks like he's got a high ankle sprain. They were up 21 to nothing in the middle of the second quarter. He ran up the middle, 
got hurt. Jerry Rice was very, very critical of Kyle Shanahan after the game, saying, you know, we first Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, now Debo Samuel. We got to stop running our best players up the middle of the field. And I, I kind of hear that, but you can't handicap and remove half of your play calling to avoid. You, you just can't live in fear of injuries, I guess. I, there's a there's a balance there. I'm not really sure where it is, but I would imagine Kyle Shanahan hears that criticism and is very, very frustrated because he's like, look, I'm going to put my best players in a position to succeed. We can't ignore running between the, the tackles. That's a terrible idea. So I don't know. Uh, it is interesting, though. I'm curious how long Debo Samuel's going to be out and uh, what's that, you know, what kind of impact that's going to have. Christian McCaffrey's played incredible, though. He ran for over 100 yards and a touchdown on Sunday. Um, and at some point, Debo will be back at 100% for a playoff run. So I'm not too worried. It's it's unfortunate, but it's it's not like Debo Samuel tore his ACL and he's out for the year or has a broken ankle or something. It's a high ankle sprain that's deeply uncomfortable. I would actually sideline him for a little bit. But um, you know, it's at least not a season-ending injury, potentially, which uh, would really, really suck. Uh, now, for Tampa, the Buccaneers are 6-7. and seven. They are only one game ahead of Carolina in their division, the NFC South. By the way, Carolina, they're 2-0 and right now with Sam Darnold as their quarterback. The O-line has been really rough in Tampa. I'm worried that the Buccaneers are not even going to make the playoffs this year. That's a massive concern. And I wonder, is Tom Brady going to come back next year? Does Tampa even want Tom Brady back? From the outside looking in, we know very little about Tom Brady's divorce, but the appearance was that Tom Brady called off his marriage because she wanted him to retire. He wasn't ready to. It's pretty wild if you get divorced for that reason, and then the very next year you end up retiring anyway. So I I would imagine Tom Brady's planning on continuing to play. Does Tampa want him? Does he retire? I don't know. Uh, but if Tom Brady is going to come back next year to Tampa, which I think is kind of the only place that would want him to play, to be totally honest. Although maybe the Raiders? Would that would that be possible? Would Josh McDaniel want Tom Brady in Vegas? I I haven't thought of that at all. I don't know. I have no idea. That's a Someone else, we can mull on that and talk about that later. That's kind of a fun, interesting idea. But um, if Tom Brady does come back to Tampa next year, they have to figure out the offensive line because it is hurting them a ton. It's it's handicapped their offense this year, and uh, I, I worry they're not even going to make the playoffs, which do you want to make the playoffs if you're going to get blown out by Dallas in the first round or something? Like I, I don't even know if that's something you want, but um, you know, keep your eye on Tampa and the future with Tom Brady. Now, um, Sunday night football was a, if you're a Tua fan, Sunday night football was a really, really painful game to watch. On Sunday night football, the Chargers beat Miami 23-17. to And the big narrative going in was Tua Tungavaloa against Justin Herbert. You know, in the 2020 NFL draft, Miami drafted Tua number five overall to be their franchise quarterback. Justin Herbert was the very next pick, number six overall, who got went to L.A. Many, many people believe Miami drafted the wrong guy. What is undeniable is that Justin Herbert is much more physically talented 
than Tua. He's a bigger arm, better athlete. And in this game, Tua did not help himself out. He needed to win or at least play well. And neither happened here in this football game on Sunday. Tua was 10 for 28 passing. 10 completions, 28 total passes. That's 18 incomplete passes. That's well under a 50% completion percentage. That is, that's awful. Um, He had 145 yards, one touchdown pass. In contrast, Justin Herbert was 39 for 51 passing, 367 yards, one touchdown pass. Um, Miami's offense never even got in the red zone all game long. The two touchdowns Miami did have came off of big plays by Tyreek Hill using his speed to make something happen. You know, one was kind of a fluke where Jeff Wilson fumbled. Tyreek Hill picked it up, outran everyone down the right sideline for a 57-yard touchdown. Wild play there. You can't even plan for that. It's a fumble recovery. Uh, Then Tyreek Hill's second touchdown was a 60-yard deep ball, 60-yard pass uh, where he he beat a man one-on-one coverage and runs down the right sideline for another touchdown. Two big plays. That's it, though. For the entire game for Miami's offense, they did not do much on offense other than have these two really big plays from Tyreek Hill. This is the first time all year I have seen a defense truly stop the Miami Dolphins offense. The 49ers did too, and we can talk about that a little bit. You know, Miami was missing both of their tackles on the offensive line against the 49ers last week. Uh, Jalen Waddle was hurt in that game. Uh, in this game, I thought what happened was the LA Chargers just played incredible coverage and really shut down Miami's two stud receivers, Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill was targeted 10 times in this football game on Sunday night. He only had four catches for 81 yards and a touchdown. And four catches, 81 yards and a touchdown, that's not bad for like a normal receiver. But for Tyreek Hill, that's nothing. Compared to what he's done all year, that's a very modest average day. And then Jalen Waddle only had two catches for 31 yards. He's still getting healthy, but again, Tua was 10 for 28 passing. 10 completed passes. I love Tua. He's, I have a Tua shirt. He's my favorite. It's the only jersey in the NFL I have is a Tua jersey. But that's not good enough. 10 completions in a massive game on Sunday Night Football? You can't do that. And I got to give credit to LA. Their defense played outstanding. I mean, really, they were very, very physical with the Miami receivers, jamming them at the line of scrimmage, uh, making a lot of plays on the ball. We called that CPR when I was growing up. Claw, punch, rip your claw. Clawing, punching, ripping of the football, just making it really difficult to make a catch by just getting your hands on a receiver as they're catching the football, just getting your hands on theirs and knocking the ball away or knocking them around. Um, I I thought that – I just thought, man – the LA Chargers did an incredible job being physical at the point of attack with um, the Miami receivers, meaning playing the ball really well and being physical down the sideline, running routes, or the line of scrimmage. Early in the game, Tua had Tyreek Hill open deep, and they couldn't connect. It looked like maybe Tyreek Hill couldn't find the ball, like he looked and couldn't see it. But what's really crazy is when you look at the Chargers' sideline, you see all of their defensive starters, or like a lot of them, wearing hoodies on the sideline, not playing. L.A. shut down Miami's offense with a ton of backups playing on defense. I mean, you got to talk about L.A. corner Michael Davis. He came in off the bench and 
Made a bunch of really nice plays in coverage. Shout out to him. And I think in the future, it's going to be important for... Because teams are going to look at this film and say, wow, we got to play similar to what LA did against Miami. Meaning, be really physical, jam them at the line of scrimmage, make it really uncomfortable for their receivers running routes. I, I thought that one thing Miami could have done better was get Tyreek Hill in motion so that he's running full speed as he approaches the line of scrimmage. That way you can't just... Um, it makes it harder to jam a guy at the line of scrimmage when he's already moving full speed. Uh, it's not the Canadian football. You can't run directly at the line of scrimmage. You can have him move vertically, meaning it's just going to be more difficult to track him down and get hands on him. But, um, you know, there are two big plays left we got to talk about that we haven't talked about yet. Justin Herbert made this really big throw, rolling right. He throws back left across the field to Mike Williams. It was a throw that Tua simply cannot make. It was impressive. I went, whoa. That's that's a long arm strength throw. I mean, just rolling right, throwing back left. I went, wow. And physically, Tua Tungavaloa cannot make that throw. I love Tua. I'm a massive fan of the guy. But I can admit, if Miami would go, if Miami was able to go back in time, they would draft Justin Herbert rather than Tua. That doesn't mean Tua can't also be good. But I thought optically last night was a really, really bad night for Tua. Tua looked terrible. And, you know, two weeks in a row, Tua had a rough night. Uh, you know, he, he was really rough last week on the road to San Francisco. Then he lost here against L.A. This week, on Thursday, Miami plays at Buffalo. So, you know, you're already two games behind Buffalo in the division. The Bills are 10-3. and three, Miami's 8-5. and five. Miami has to win on Saturday, and Tua's got to play well. I mean, it, things are declining for the Miami Dolphins, and uh, it feels very unlikely after two ugly losses where Tua wasn't great. And after, by the way, the Bills just dominated up front against the Jets, by the way. I am very, very nervous about Tua and the Miami Dolphins on the road this Saturday against Buffalo. I worry for them, and I, I, I just... Uh, I thought optically, Tua had to at least play well. He didn't. And anyone who criticizes Tua in Miami and goes, oh, we should have drafted Herbert today, they're feeling even better. And and today, I actually agree with you guys. Like I've said before, I I wouldn't have drafted Justin Herbert, but I would have been wrong. I would have looked really stupid. Go look at my old takes around the time of the NFL draft. Your boy, Zach, horribly wrong about Justin Herbert. He's incredible. And if you could time travel... Miami would draft Justin Herbert in a heartbeat. Now, there's one more play we got to talk about. I do not want this play forgotten. It's one we got to revisit this offseason. Jalen Phillips sacked Justin Herbert, and it was the worst roughing the passer call I've ever seen in my entire life. It was a normal sack. He, It's a tackle. It's a form tackle. And... I'm a former quarterback. I just feel bad for defensive players. It's getting insane. The game is ridiculous. I don't know how you... You can't touch a quarterback, let alone tackle them. You can't even get a sack without getting a penalty. It's egregious. It's ridiculous. And we need some kind of solution. If you haven't seen the play, look up Jalen Phillips or look up Justin Herbert roughing the passer call. You'll probably find it on YouTube. It's ridiculous and horrible. And um, the NFL has to find some kind of solution to make sure that this doesn't keep happening because teams are being given free first downs and extending drives when 
I just, I don't know how you play defense. You get a sack, it's, it should be a thing you celebrate and are happy about. Instead, you get a penalty and get in trouble. And, by the way, no sack. Jalen Phillips, whatever number of sacks he ends the year with, add one on top of that because it's, oh, it's so frustrating to watch. Um, I, I don't know how that play was roughing the passer, but um, the NFL has gone soft. Now, the L.A. Chargers, by the way, are 7-6. and six. They've got a, a slim opportunity at a playoff appearance. And the last four games for L.A., they play Tennessee, they play Indy, they play the Rams, and then they play Denver. Then the Chargers could easily win their last four games and finish 11-6. and six. Keep your eye on that. The L.A. Chargers have a small shot at a playoff appearance. And I, I think 11-6, and six, that's a great year for them. It's a, it's a way to salvage a year that's been a lot of up and down and Weird losses and here and there. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm really. Um, I have called for. Uh, how do how do you even put this? I have wondered if Brandon Staley is the right job, right right coach for the job in L.A. Um, for them to finish 11 and six and go four and 5 and zero to end the year would be really really massive and help him probably keep his job. And he's a person I like. I like his interviews. I like how he interacts with his players. Uh, I wonder if he's holding back the football team. But I thought the game plan was incredible on Sunday. They coached their butts off. The They won with backups on defense. Herbert was awesome. And this felt like probably, I, in fact, I wouldn't even say probably. I would say it was by far the best game of the year the Chargers have played. And I think it's encouraging for their future because if they can play like that every week, the Chargers are a force to be reckoned with. And if the team we saw on Sunday night against Miami that defense, Justin Herbert, Mike Williams healthy, making big plays. If they can go into the playoffs playing like that, LA's a dark horse team that could win the Super Bowl. They're going to go from maybe 7-6 and six to 11-6, and six, and then if they upset Joe Burrow or Buffalo, they could make a Super Bowl run. And I, that's, that's a long shot, but I'll tell you what, that, that performance on Sunday, if they can do that every week, Absolutely, they could win a Super Bowl playing like that. Defense is the thing we often forget about this time of year. All year, we're talking about the NFL MVP and who's the best quarterback and offense, and we talk about fantasy football and offensive stats everywhere, but the reality is if you want to win a Super Bowl, it's also important you have a good defense, and not every team has a defense capable of doing what L.A. did to shut down Miami that way. That was notable. That was important. That's what, I mean, that's why I don't even like Dallas as far as they're inconsistent. I don't trust Dak. I don't like their coaching. But the defense from the Dallas Cowboys makes me think that team could win a Super Bowl because they just, they dominate. And the way the secondary played for LA, who's going to get Joey Bosa back, by the way, eventually, and hopefully um, can get to full strength. Maybe if the LA Chargers go 11-6 and six and make the playoffs, then they get a bunch of their starters back and healthy. They might get hot at the right time and surprise a lot of people come time uh, for the NFL playoffs in January. By the way, I want to give a real quick shout out to the Detroit Lions. The Lions started the year one and six. Now Detroit is six and seven. They've, you know, in their last six games, Detroit has gone five and one. And now the Lions have a very small shot at a playoff appearance. They just beat Minnesota 34 to 23. It's a massive win. Jared Goff against Minnesota, 330 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers. He was awesome. And I just want to say this. Hey, Lions, I am begging you. 
build around Jared Goff. Use the draft picks you're going to have. You're going to have awesome. In the first two rounds, you're going to have four draft picks. Use them wisely. Draft defense, maybe an offensive weapon. Build around Jared Goff. And I, I think the sky's the limit. And imagine this. Imagine if Jared Goff ever won a Super Bowl with the Detroit Lions. How incredible would that be? Because he lost one with L.A. He got traded away, thrown in the dumpster. What if Jared Goff can do what Matthew Stafford never could do in, in Detroit, which is make the Lions a winning franchise and win a playoff game, win a Super Bowl? It'd be awesome. How cool would that be? And also, the Lions have been awful my entire life. You would think at some point they're going to figure it out, and I, I am rooting for them. You know, the Browns won our playoff game. Then I was they were the little engine that could. The Browns did it. Now, all my hope and energy for the Browns to not be horrible, um, I shifted it over to Detroit, especially when they added a villain, Deshaun Watson. Now, I just I am rooting for the Lions. I don't think anyone hates the Lions. I, I think anyone who, um, even in their own division, Green Bay, Minnesota, Chicago, they even kind of feel bad for the Lions. They're like, look, if my team isn't going to win the Super Bowl, it might as well be the Lions because, man, when we're not playing them, we root for them. And I, I that's what I've heard other sports fans say from the NFC North. And I just would love, love, love to see the Lions and Jared Goff turn things around, maybe make the playoffs, but ultimately um, just be a winning football team and not have a situation where every year you're like, oh, it's the Lions. They're terrible. They don't have a shot. What if next year we look at the Lions and we're like, hey, for the first time in forever, we have expectations because they played well last year. They made the playoffs and they got even better with their draft picks. I would like that for once in my lifetime for the Detroit Lions to actually have some level of expectation that they should win. That would be really, really cool in Detroit. Now, yesterday, um, let me drink some water first. I gotta, whoo, gotta calm down. It's been a weird day. It's been a day, again, I recorded a whole, a whole episode. Couldn't use it. Very frustrating. So here we are doing take two. It's actually going better, to be honest. So nothing wrong with that. But um, Buffalo beat the Jets 20 to 12 on Sunday. And the biggest story to me is Jets quarterback, Mike White. The Jets lost, but I think Mike White really gained a lot of respect in the Jets locker room. This dude got leveled a couple times in the football game. In the second quarter, he got obliterated. His ribs are all messed up. He left for two games, then came back, or two plays, then came back. Then in the third quarter, he got hit again, left the sideline, went went to go get x-rays, came back for the fourth quarter. Um, He has some kind of rib injury, I would imagine, Who knows? We're waiting on details still, but to come back twice in this football game, to be obviously and clearly in pain, and go watch the hits. His body folded around a defender. Like, he just got obliterated in his ribs. To gut it out, to play the rest of the game, and to play well when he was playing, by the way, it wasn't a detriment to his football team. You know, Joe Flacco briefly came in at quarterback. Joe Flacco was horrible. He's one for three passing, missed an easy completion down the seam, had a fumble. Mike White, when he was in, played really well. Made a lot of big throws. Mike White was 27 for 44, passing 268 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, but he had a sweet throw to Braxton, Barri- Braxton Barrios on third and 10. Um, he converted another third and 10 with a sweet deep route, deep out route to uh, Garrett Wilson. I-, I just think today, Mike White is the best quarterback on the Jets roster. 
I, I do wonder if him having a rib injury is going to open the door at all for Zach Wilson to maybe return at any point. But Mike White was not the reason why the Jets lost on Sunday. Joe Flacco fumbled. Michael Carter also fumbled. The offensive line struggled against Buffalo. Um, I think it's a credit to really the Bills' defensive line. They played awesome, but there were a lot of negative plays from the Jets' offense. A couple big sacks that cost the Jets. A uh, couple runs for negative yardage. I mean, there was a second and eight where they ran the ball. They lost three yards. Now it's third and 11. If you get three yards rushing, it's third and five. I mean, that's a big difference. Just that they, lose the, they lost a lot of yards running the football over and over again. There were way too many third and longs for the Jets' offense. Um, it's a tough loss. And, yeah, I think 20-12 to 12 to lose to Buffalo, not a terrible— Like, yeah, if you're a Jets fan, you want to win. I'm not trying to be like, oh, we, we gave it a good game. But, like, you know, I thought the Jets did well. And Buffalo's probably the best team in the NFL. They might win the Super Bowl. So for the Jets to look back on their year and say, we beat the Jets once, we gave them two really tough games, that's not bad at all. But I think the the main story here, yes, the Jets lost. But Mike White really, really gained a lot of respect around the organization for the way he played through injury and played well through an injury. And uh, I think when you compare him to Zach Wilson head-to-head, Mike White executes the offense better. He's a better leader. The locker room likes him more. Um, Certainly Joe Flacco is terrible. So Mike White, for the foreseeable future, is going to be the quarterback of the Jets, unless the rib injury catches up to him. Um, it's a shame, though. You know, it's... Zach Wilson, if he could play... he His ability to escape sacks could have been valuable against the Bills on Sunday. You know, I watched Mike White get sacked a couple times, and I was like, if only he could run. If only he could extend a play. Zach Wilson can! So the fact that Zach Wilson is immature and not playing well is really frustrating because... The potential he has um, and the potential that he could bring to the Jets is important. And the fact that he's not able to do it because he's been playing bad and not playing up to the standard is really frustrating. I I imagine Jets fans are, if anything, just frustrated that Zach Wilson hasn't been um, as good as he should. Now, let's end the show with this. The Battle of Ohio. The Bengals beat Cleveland 23-10 on Sunday. Joe Burrow got his first ever win against the Cleveland Browns. That's a big deal. Um, the Bengals are 9-4. and four. Very quietly, they're sliding back in, and they're first in the AFC North. Uh, Baltimore's also 9-4, and four, but yeah, that battle in the AFC North is really interesting because Lamar Jackson's injured in Baltimore. Now the Ravens' number two quarterback, Tyler Huntley's injured. He may or may not play next week. But the big question, honestly, after Cincinnati beat Cleveland on Sunday is... What are reasonable expectations for Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson? Deshaun Watson played all right in the second game. Like, not a bad game. Not a great game. Not terrible. Deshaun Watson in this game was 26 for 42 passing, 276 yards, one touchdown, one really bad interception. I get it. Deshaun Watson hasn't played in, like, two years, and uh, it's going to take time for him to... Settle in, I guess. Um, But Deshaun Watson's also making $230 million, fully guaranteed. So how long until I can reasonably expect him to light it up and win? 
And I guess the question is, how long until him losing and not lighting it up becomes a problem? Is it next week? Next year? At what point do we go, okay, it's been long enough. Deshaun Watson better play well. Maybe it's immediately. I don't know. But I'd love to hear from Cleveland Browns fans. Hey, Browns fans, what do you expect from Deshaun Watson? How long until you guys are like, this guy is not delivering? Because, you know, Denver was, Russell Wilson is at a point where he's a massive failure. He's underachieving. They're fed up. How long until Cleveland reaches that? Or how long until Deshaun Watson starts playing really, really well up to the level of expectation that comes along with that kind of money? 200 and $30 million fully guaranteed. I don't know, but um, certainly Deshaun Watson is not playing like the most valuable quarterback in the NFL because he's the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. At some point, his play has got to start looking like that too. So keep your eye on the Browns and Deshaun Watson and um, let's see when he really starts to tear it up because if he doesn't, there's going to be a point where enough is enough and it's been too long. So I don't know. He's not going anywhere. He's got a ton of money, fully guaranteed, five years, $230 million, but doesn't mean we can't criticize him. I just don't know how long a reasonable amount of time has to pass before you're like, hey, when's the wins? When are the five touchdown passes, 300-yard games going to happen? You know what I mean? Like, when, At what point do you raise your expectations for Deshaun Watson? That's my question, and um, that remains to be seen. Browns fans, write in. Let me know. I'd love to know. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Uh, I'm tired. I recorded two episodes today, actually, and my my voice is is drained. I'm going to rest. I'm going to post this. I'm going to do a bunch of errands tomorrow, and uh, I'll see you again on Friday. I love you, and uh, ba-dum-bum-bam, we are...